Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prude. Joining me today is a team of specialized aeromedical professionals embedded within the Human Systems Engineering Department at NOC-AD. The aeromedical monitoring and analysis team formed as part of the Navy's response to its number one safety issue, physiological episodes. So this is a busy group, but they are joining me virtually for today's discussion, and I am so excited to hear more about the important work the team is doing within our organization. So let's get started by welcoming back to the podcast, Dr. Matthew DeBrava. Doctor, tell us what is the Aeromedical Monitoring and Analysis Team? Thank you, Mike and Lauren. Thanks for having us all. For as many as you could get, we're a busy group. Like you, you're right. During the physiologic episodes that were being researched by the Navy, some capabilities were needed to be developed in the nav air on the aircraft side. The NASA report that looked at RPEs came out and said, nav air, you're really great at developing hardware, but you should have some aerospace medicine expertise in-house to help you with the acquisition side and to help you address some of these problems that are unique to humans. So as a result, at NOC-AD, there's already were several people here who are represented aerospace medicine, and they're mostly aerospace physiologists, and they were in direct direct uh, support mission roles. But now they want to expand and have a general support mission role and increase the, the, the breadth of knowledge they could bring to this. So they brought in an aerospace medicine physician, and that's me. And now we have a an audiologist. We have a research physiologist on top of the aerospace physiologist we have. We have an aerospace optometrist who has a PhD in vision science. And then we also have an experimental psychologist. Not only do we do direct support missions, but we also now have a general support role where we can cross all the barriers in between departments and bring our expertise. Thank you, doctor. Let's take a moment and go around the room to meet our medical team today. Let's start with Lieutenant Commander Shepard. Introduce yourself, and please tell us about your role as part of the team. So my name is Lieutenant Commander Kyle Shepard. As Dr. Brava said, I'm an audiologist, which means I have a doctorate in hearing and balance. I've been in the Navy for eight and a half years. Formerly, I've been stationed at hospitals or uh, medical treatment facilities where we, of course, work with patients who have sustained injuries to their inner ear in some way, shape, or form affecting their hearing and or their balance. So I can help in that assessment or treatment of but in uniform, one of my primary roles would be managing hearing conservation programs. So looking at Navy guidance and uh, how we can best mitigate the effects of hazardous noise to hearing and also to, to our balance because it can have effects there as well. So my role with NOC-AD is a research audiologist and supporting in the way Dr. Brava stated in my subject matter expertise because vibrations, hazardous noise, can have detrimental effects causing physiologic episodes on hearing and or balance. And one of the main things that we need to focus on in the military, particularly for aviators, is the ability to communicate. And if the hearing's compromised in any way, that's where my role can come in. Thank you. So next, let's go to Lieutenant Commander Kenny. All right. My name is Lieutenant Commander Micah Kenny. I am a aerospace optometrist and vision scientist. I've been in the Navy for uh, about 12 years and have had uh, clinical experience working with pilots and special operations uh, warfighters, as well as research and development experience coming from the Naval Medical Research Unit in Dayton, Ohio, addressing human performance issues in the aerospace environment. Perfect. Continuing around our virtual room, Lieutenant Doggett. 
Thanks for having me. So my name is Lieutenant Travis Doggett. I am a research physiologist within the Medical Service Corps. We are a super small subspecialty within the MSC. We are all classically trained PhD scientists. So my background is human physiology, medical physiology. And uh, basically my role as a research physiologist is to do classic research in the military. So human subjects-based research. But being that I wear a uniform, we're able to liaise between the many talented civilian researchers that we have at these various commands, such as NOC AD or some of the other research commands around the country. Uh, we're able to liaise with those civilian researchers and the active duty side to provide uh, better guidance on what topics need to be researched and addressed problems within the Navy and within our department, specifically physiologic events and episodes. And next we have Chief Aisa. I've been in the Navy for 17 and a half years, ma'am. I came from the operational side, so I was stationed in Lamore. I was with CAG-2 on board Carol Benson. PEs have been like our biggest problem in the fleet. So um, I've seen a lot of uh, problems with that. Now that I'm here, I recruit volunteers for all the tests that we do in human system engineering in doing all the physicals and recruiting people and making sure there is a safety. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Finally, back to you, Commander DeBrava. I'm uh, Commander Matt DeBrava. I've been in the military about 20 years now, uh, with the first five being with the Marine Corps as a line officer. And then I transferred over to the Navy when I picked up a medical degree. And I'm board certified in aerospace and occupational medicine. So I specialize in taking healthy people and putting them in hazardous environments. And uh, I've had assignments to hospitals for mostly residency training programs with operational units that are deployed to OIF. And uh, my last assignment was to be the uh, aerospace medical researcher at the uh, Navy Medical Research Unit in Dayton, Ohio at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And that kind of led over to coming over to fill this job. All right, so let's start with the background. What is a physiological episode? What contributes to it at the human systems level? And Lieutenant Commander Kenny, how does a physiological episode impact an aviator while in flight? So the physiological episodes was really kind of a, you know, a, a, a pretty big event for, for naval aviation. It received a lot of uh, public attention and really affected a lot of different platforms and not, not just unique to one group of aviators. So this really spurred an all-hands uh, approach to try to identify the root cause, try to find how we can uh, get solutions uh, to the fleet as soon as possible. And what we found from this, uh, from this effort uh, was that it was, there wasn't one smoking gun per se, that it was, it was actually a, a series of, of different uh, things that, that led to, this, to these, these feelings and these physiological changes that the air crew were experiencing. And so by having multiple disciplines from physiology to uh, pulmonary physiology to vision science and um, operational medicine and, and, and things like that, we were able to really address it from all, all sorts of different angles. And I think that it also showed how well that our teams can work together to try to address a, a critical need for the fleet. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so amazing what we can all do when we work together to solve an issue. Lieutenant, when it comes to monitoring the human and the aircraft, what exactly are you looking for? 
We're going to monitor for a number of things. We're, we're you know, there's a number of uh, new equipment being developed here at NOC AD to monitor the physiology of the aviator or air crew. Some of the things that we'll monitor while they're in the cockpit are uh, things like inspired O2, expired CO2. That's very important for in the cockpit because you don't want them to get hypocapnic or uh, hypoxic. So th those are the two really big ones that, uh, that we're looking to monitor within the aircraft at this time. And Chief, same question. You mentioned your operational experience with hypoxia. How does your time on the ship compare to your current role at NOC-AD? It's fascinating because they came from um, the operational side where you see like the issues of hypoxia. Then you come in over here to NOC-AD, we're actually, we run the tests in a controlled environment. On the, So our job here is to test every piece of equipment that aircrew or pilots put on their bodies, i.e. like mask or a helmet. And we do it with like temperature fluctuation, is it cold or hot? So you see that, um, you, you see from the uh, test side, operationally, it's, it's very, it's scary when it happens and you're out there, but here it's more controlled and you see like the work that it's done to either increase or decrease the the, you know, the risks. It's not just happening to the, the air crew themselves, it's also the maintainers and the deck handlers of the aircraft. So one of the big things we're studying right now are some of the new cranials, the uh, people who are exposed to the noise of the aircraft. So, which I think is a good segue back to Commander Shepard to talk about some of the hearing protection research they're doing. Yeah, so obviously we can monitor a lot of things on the aviators in the aircraft, but we're also measuring the environment of the aircraft to see how it could potentially impact the aviator. So when it comes to hazardous noise, there are known levels that can cause damage uh, instantaneously or even subclinically over time, the more they're exposed. So we obviously measure vibration levels and noise levels during flight for the different aircrafts and not just for overall noise, but from a research perspective, very specifically at different frequency bands to see where the uh, biggest hazard is coming from. So hearing protection can be modified to best protect aviators while still maintaining communication capability. And we're starting to look more into um, advanced types of monitors now that can go inside of hearing protection to actually see what kind of protection aviators are receiving from a given headset or a given earplug that they're wearing. And as this technology evolves, not only can we measure the environment, but uh, we're hoping to be able to simultaneously measure things like heart rate or pulse ox and very advanced miniature technology that will take some time, but that is hopefully the future of where we can go so we can get instantaneous data of what is effective, what is not, and where the big correlations are for physiologic events from a hearing and uh, dizziness standpoint. That's really interesting because hearing is so important, uh, but also vision. Lieutenant Commander Kenny, what are you doing to monitor the aviator from the optics standpoint? Yeah, so I think from a from a visions perspective and and from uh, eyes and 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 really biometric feedback, there's a lot of different elements that we can use to to monitor operator performance. So we're we're very visual creatures. A lot of the information that we receive from our senses allows us to interpret our environment and to get our spatial perception. So when we take away one sense or we create a mismatch between two senses, say our visual system is telling us one thing, 
and our auditory and vestibular system is telling us another, that creates a, a very disorienting environment and situation. So what are some things that we can monitor to try to help the air crew, or the aviator, or the warfighter better interpret what their senses are telling them? And that comes through displays, through instrumentation, and, and different things like that. So can we monitor their ability to fixate on the proper displays? So if you look at some mishap reports and try to, to look at the recreation or, or the interviews afterwards, and they, they talk about how they were tasked with troubleshooting something in the cockpit. So while their instruments are starting to give them information that they're getting off course or they're entering into an unusual attitude, they're not visually paying attention to that. And so can we, can we track their eye movements to, to show that, okay, they haven't checked their attitude indicator in a while, and then perhaps initiate some, some piece of artificial intelligence that would then bring them back into straight and level flight. And if they're on long duration flights, can we monitor their blink rate to see if they're getting fatigued or tired? Are there other things like their pupillary response? Um, you know, they're not getting enough oxygen or, or too much carbon dioxide or things like that. Um, so there's a lot of things that the, the eyes can play into to monitoring their, their state. Are they doing their proper scans? Are they looking where they're supposed to look? Are they fixating too much and they're not paying attention to what they need to pay attention to, to then provide loop, feedback loop uh, to either the aircraft itself or back to the air crew. Lieutenant Commander Shepard, what do you think are some of the greatest challenges aviators face while in flight? Yeah, from my perspective, obviously we can't prevent exposure that's coming from aircrafts when it comes to the extreme levels of noise and extreme levels of vibrations. For some of our fixed wing aircrafts, they go extremely fast and you can only engineer out so much of that noise and vibration. The challenge becomes the pathways that the, the noise and the vibrations can take to get to the inner ear or to get to the head to cause physiologic events. Rarely do I see hearing and tinnitus be a physiologic event because it typically happens progressively over time. And hearing loss is not something that many people feel or notice much. Every once in a while it happens from extreme exposures, but the big physiologic event in my field would be dizziness. And our balance is comprised of many systems. So it's our vision, it's our inner ear, our vestibular system, which is my specialty, and then our proprioception or our sense of touch. So you can imagine if it's sense of touch, our posture and our ergonomics in the seat and vibrations affecting that can influence dizziness. If our vision is compromised from everywhere where Lieutenant Commander Kenny comes into the team, that can cause imbalance and dizziness or the inner ear from vibration and hazardous noise effects that can cause imbalance and that's only further worsened by pre-existing conditions or past head injuries. So all of these things contribute to the puzzle that is the physiologic event of dizziness, which was one of the most common ones. So the biggest challenge and a, a, a hopeful one that I'm very positive that I think we can improve upon is how do we mitigate those pathways and further prevent the uh, physiologic events from happening. It's a complicated puzzle, but it's one that I think we're progressively solving and getting better and better at with advancement in technology, with teams like this, and uh, really understand the aviator. And it's great to see the culture shift of us encouraging people to speak up about small symptoms and small events that they're having, because that only gives us more data and more information to look closer to something that might not be so obvious. Yeah. And, and like you say, that culture change, the increased awareness, the sharing of information, it, it's all vitally important to mitigating PEs now and in the future. Lieutenant Commander Kenny, I'd also like to get your perspective. 
What would you say are the greatest challenges aviators face in flight? Well, we know from the safety center that one of our top threats still is spatial disorientation. So I think getting the aviator to to trust their systems when their sensory information of their of their body and their human physiology is telling them something different. I think that's going to continue to be a, a challenge that we're trying to address and, and how can we best improve trust in automated systems? How can we better improve the way that we're we're monitoring that human in the loop to make sure that they're they're not getting disoriented and they're not trying to fly by the sensations that they're getting, but instead trusting their, their instrumentation and what the aircraft's telling them. Lieutenant, why do you think it is important to have this group of medical professionals based here at Pax River? And what is the value of having a team such as this embedded within NOC AD? Having it here as opposed to uh, a, a BUMEC command, we have that link to the operational side uh, with the fleet, with the line. And, you know, all of us, particularly us aeromedical folks, officers, we're, we're staff corps officers and our job is to support the line. So having our group here at NOC-AD at NAS PACS where you have an operational test wing on the same base as opposed to say one of the uh, BUMED research commands where they're usually off on their own, you really get that link with with the line and the fleet and be able to liaise between them and also to, like Chief said, to uh, um, recruit from the fleet to uh, participate in the studies and the uh, protocols that we have developed here. Dr. DeBrava, why would you say human systems are the most important part of the aircraft? You know, sometimes we get buried in our technology where we think, hey, the capability of the aircraft is really based on its offensive weapon systems or its ability to fly faster than the speed of sound. But the reality is we can take a highly trained individual, put them in extreme danger and bring them home safely. And that's the real benefit of the aircraft. We need a person with eyes on target and a brain and a heart and the ability to think about what the mission is, what it means, and what they need to do in order to get the mission accomplished. And that's the real heart of these systems. So making sure that they have everything they need to perform these missions in safety with a high percentage of returning home is, you know, that is, that's our due diligence for these people. So what role does human systems, and really your team, play in keeping our aviators safe? I mean, Commander DeBrava really alluded to it already. Uh, you know, all of our platforms have at their core the aviator and the aircrew. So if you don't have their health first and foremost, you don't have aviators and aircrew to operate this aircraft. So human systems engineering will always be one of the important, most important aspects of developing a new aircraft, developing a new piece of technology, a new piece of equipment that should always be first and foremost into the design of all of these things. Because if they're not able to operate effectively, they're not able to stay healthy, then you, you risk, you know, serious mishaps occurring. I think the advantage that we would have with a team like ours, with the aeromedical monitoring and analysis team, is that we have a lot of, of depth in our subject matter expertise. So we can identify things where there's crossover between our expertise, between the physiologists and the audiologists and the optometrists. 
and how we can work work towards achieving a goal jointly between our, our different specialties. So, you know, people kind of get settled in their, their little niche or their, their little area of expertise and sometimes forget that there's, there's a lot of components that go into uh, not only the human system, but also any engineering system. And so how does this one piece fit and interact with this next piece is very critical to a team effort and trying to find solutions. Um, so I think that's one of the unique things that our, our team can, can provide is, uh, is that next step in the, in the machine, that next cog or that next element and how it all interacts with the previous and, and the ones after it. Why is it so important that we educate our aviators about physiological episodes? And how has that education changed as we've learned more about the root cause and gathered data as to what is contributing to them? The education, I, I think, is slowly changing. Uh, like I said, the culture is definitely changing. We're encouraging people to speak up more about physiologic ep- episodes, symptoms they're experiencing. But really, I guess getting to that why again of what we're doing, putting data behind it, I think what we're doing more that now that it is an emphasis of our, of our uh, mission, we're actually putting resources towards it, getting people in uniform at this command so we can be the proper liaison between the amazing civilian presence we have here, but our active duty forces and our civilian presence working hand in hand, collaborating on what we can do to prevent it further. More on education, since you're talking about, does it change in the fleet? And the answer is yes. And we're trying to be have more fidelity in our hypoxia training. So our uh, reduced oxygen breathing device and now our new reduced oxygen breathing environments are being re- they're being looked at to make sure that the fidelity is there to, to help the pilot experience what they might experience. And but also training is going on beyond that. It's like the the culture of aviation we're trying to change so we want people to feel comfortable saying i don't feel good and it's time for me to you know drop a flight because i could be a danger to myself or to others and that's becoming more acceptable we're training people to have better confidence in the airframe because with all the research and the science we're showing the airframes are working pretty well but uh you know we need better some better maintenance so education is not just among the air crews also among the maintainers And just one more thing to add to what I was saying before about a culture shift is uh, with physiologic episodes, whether it's oxygen availability, the effects of vibrations or noise or movement of the aircraft, these are not physical forces that mental toughness can diminish. And I think there has been a culture historically in the military of toughing it out. And I I know being stationed at a Marine Corps command first and then uh, Naval Command working with every branch of service, people kind of apply that mindset to things that, uh, where it does not work. And even when it comes to wearing hearing protection, it it doesn't matter how in shape you are or how strong you are, even how mentally tough you are, the effects of some of these forces are gonna be detrimental to your system. If not instantaneously, then over time, that makes your system weaker. And then the instantaneous effects are, are much higher. So educating that piece to once again, come back around that, it is actually a sign of strength to keep you more effective in the moment of properly wearing your PPE, of properly taking all the precautions so you can maintain your function at this moment. And then of course, for the rest of your life. So rather than training to prevent future treatment, it's training to make you most effective right now and making sure that the gear we're suggesting when it comes to, in my field here in protection, it's not, how can we give you the most protections? How can we give you just enough to keep you effective, keep you situationally aware, keep your communication availability there, but also protect against the effect of noise or vibration. 
So going back to explaining the why behind our education, I can see us getting much better at that with the data that places like NACAD are providing as well. So why is it so important for the aviator to be in good physical and mental shape? Yeah, great question. So the aviation environment is very challenging physically. They're exposed to to things that they're just not exposed to here walking around on, on earth. They're pulling G's, they're experiencing changes in their respiratory rates, challenges to their night vision, and their cognitive workload is really high. They're not only trying to fly an aircraft, but they're trying to navigate where they're going. They're trying to do radio communications, perhaps trying to troubleshoot something that's, that's giving them a warning or a caution. So there's a, there's a lot going on that the, the operator uh, needs to, to manage and to prioritize. So it's, it's, it's real important that we have them in their best cognitive state and also, from my perspective, in their best visual state. So, uh, you know, at any time, an air crew could be called on for a search and rescue mission, and they have to identify a helmet or a downed pilot, let's say in, in the middle of the ocean, would you rather them be, uh, you know, 2020 or 2015, right, in order to identify that individual? So I, I personally would rather them have their best possible vision, you know, that we can provide for them uh, so that, you know, if, if it's my helmet they're looking for, they can find me. Yeah, the, the comorbid or associated effects of poor self-care just significantly inc- increases the risk of experiencing a physiologic event, or at least effects and symptoms from all the things going on in the aircraft and around them. So the more you can do to take care of yourself, the more you are setting yourself up for success when you are at the extremes of an aircraft or of your system from things that you can have no control over. But those are things that we definitely have control over. And if COVID has taught us anything, it's good health can mitigate a lot of risk. And that applies to all aspects of life, definitely extreme environments, which we know our aviators are in. So my, my last answer, I said, strength and fitness doesn't matter when it comes to hazardous noise. It, it does when it comes to the instantaneous effects and how you can be resilient and overcome a physiologic event. But uh, you, you're just setting yourself up for more failure if you're not taking care of yourself because there are many things in this life that we don't have control over that affect us. And uh, aviators are at the extremes of some of those uncontrollable. So taking care of yourself is a controllable and that sets you up for success. Why is it so important that we continue to learn about physiological episodes? Dr. DeBrava? Part of it is we got away from the research in aerospace physiology just because we went to the moon, but the reality is that was a very specialized engineering program that did a very specialized and specific goal. Now we're acquiring a lot of multi-mission platforms and they're going to orbit above a battle space to manage it for eight to 10 hours. And nobody thought of it that way. And so now we can see the effects on the human for long mission sorties where they're strapped in aircraft and, um, you know, it's hard to feed them. It's hard to hydrate them. It's hard for them to urinate in aircraft. So that's, you know, so that, that, that's why, that's why we want to do it this way. And so hopefully we can bring some of the knowledge early on to the acquisition phase and uh, the design phase and get rid of some of them before they become a problem. So as we wrap up today's podcast, I'd like to go around the room one more time and have each of you tell me, what do you enjoy most about being a part of this team? Lieutenant Commander Kenny? I really enjoy being able to see things and how they, they work from the ground up. So walking around to the different lab spaces and seeing the engineers come up with these solutions, you know, from, from the individual nuts and bolts all the way up to the full system. That's been, been really exciting to, to get to see that process. 
and and really uh, hopefully to to be able to be a part of that process for projects going forward. So it's it's real exciting to uh, to see all the different platforms that's supported by Knock AD and Navair. I feel really fortunate to be here. It's like having an air show every day to see all the different platforms that are here. So it's it's been a, a an exciting assignment, and I look forward to many more years that I'll be here. Absolutely, Chief. Over to you, ma'am. It's just um, like I said. When you're operational, you're operational. You're out there and um, you're just um, trying to survive. When you come back here, you see where the whole thing is cooking, like all the gear that's been tested, how it's tested. And so you have more confidence. You can actually speak, be like, you know what? I was there when that helmet got tested or I I was a subject. That's to me, that's that's a huge. And I tell my uh, sailors and my friends, and they spread that word. But like, yeah, I'm at this cool place where we test the gear and we do all that stuff. Yeah, you're right. It is really cool here. Lieutenant? So for me personally, uh, a lot of my uh, my feelings are the same as uh, Chief Asa. Being here at an operational command, I love it. You know, I get to interact with the line side a lot, get to go out to the flight line, see this equipment, see it in use, see it being developed. I actually volunteered on a a few studies because I just checked on board. I've only been on for a little more than a month. So volunteering for studies and and protocols is the easiest way for me to get involved at this time. So that's been great. And yeah, I just, I enjoy, you know, being a lot closer to the operational side because uh, when I move on from here, I'll be uh, doing a lot of programmatics and and sitting behind a desk and you lose that link this will help me further down the line to remember who it is I'm, I'm supporting and, and uh, serve them better. And now to you, Lieutenant Commander Shepard. I've loved all of my previous commands as an audiologist where half of my job was seeing patients, whether it was active duty, veterans, uh, dependents. I, I really do love the clinical aspect of my job, but we have audiologists in uniform in the Navy and associated services really more for prevention. And that's where the hearing conservation came into play at my previous commands. And I really enjoyed the education and uh, working with commands to have better programs to prevent the number one injury in the military, which is hearing loss and ringing in the ears. But my position here at NOC AD, I think it takes it one step further and truly fulfills the purpose of being in uniform for organizational prevention. So putting data once again behind our education, behind what we're doing and why to make our aviators and fleet safer is my purpose and mission now. So I can finally really put some of these ideas that have been discussed in my field to research and try to really prove concepts to change our uh, our processes, our instructions, and our modes of education so we can have safer platforms and less physiologic events to keep everyone effective. And Commander DeBrav already used some of the main code words that we like to keep our forces more lethal, survivability higher, maintain communication capability, and uh, increase situational awareness. And that's all of the missions behind the research that I do in ideology focus on those concepts. So I, I love what I'm doing here because it really aligns with that from an organizational standpoint. And finally, Dr. DeBrava. This is a brand new billet for the flight surgery and aerospace medicine community. So, so I have to come out here and so that means it has unlimited potential to make changes in, in how we acquire systems or how we design aircraft. And we can engineer out problems before they're really a problem. So as an occupational medicine person, that's like, that's like our dream. Like 
make the problem go away before it becomes a problem and hurts anyone. And uh, so that's why I love being here because this is a, a brand new way we can approach it and hopefully we can uh, maximize the potential out here. One thing I'd like to add is that if, if there's anybody out there that would like to reach out to our team in a project that we can support, please feel free to reach out to us. We're here and excited to help out with the different teams and provide our expertise and our perspective in solving problems and solutions. So the other thing I, I would suggest for the aviators and for the fleet really is that we're listening to you. We hear your concerns and we want you to know that we are anxiously engaged to address them. So if they, if you have concerns, if there's anything that we can work on, if you feel like we're not addressing something that, that is a potential safety issue or something that could help improve your performance, please let us know. But know that we are, are here, we're involved, and we want to find solutions to, to the problems and how we can make your job better. So there you have it. This incredible team is standing by to help. Just give them a call. I really appreciate all of you being here today. And thank you for the amazing work you're doing to keep our aviators, aircrew, maintainers, and the rest of the fleet safe. That's it for this episode of Airwaves. Thanks for listening. <laughs>